Pegasus Podcast, presented by Night Sports Now. UCF news, views, and a few hot takes. Now, here are your hosts, Bailey Go Knights Adams and Christian Charge-On Simmons. Welcome into episode 106. Be sure you're following us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at ByCA Simmons, and at Night Sports Now. UCF's about to have a lot of money. A lot, a lot of money. Before we get into that topic, I just want to say that I do this very dumb thing every week we record. I don't know why. We're right before I press the record button. I say something like really dumb. <laughs> and then it ne- and then I press the button. So you immediately have to be serious, but it never breaks you. But then I have to mute because I'm laughing at my own dumb comment. <laughs> like, I don't know why I do that every week. Like, I'm literally like had to mute right now and I'm smirking and trying to control myself. And you're just steadily going through it. Don't it know almost why I do got that me that time. It almost got me that time. I thought I had you. I kind of looked off to the other screen where we have the outline. So I didn't have to. Your ability to not break is awesome because I do this basically every week. I say something really stupid or just. I didn't realize you did it on purpose. I thought that's just like how you just how you work. No, I I always I always do it because I'm just because I'm just fascinated by like because I I've never been a person who can keep a straight face in my life. I'm just not and like I'll say the most ridiculous thing and then immediately press the button and you just go welcome into the Pegasus podcast. Like how does he do it? I don't know. Um, now, now that you say that, like our very next podcast, I'm going to break right after the intro or right into the intro. So I know I've read it now. Yeah. The only time we've ever had to re-record, you guys should know too, like we have to edit the podcast, like probably about half the time. And it's almost always me. Like I'll say something. <laughs> and then afterwards I'm like, should not have said that. And we end up cutting it or I misspeak or whatever. But if, Bailey has nailed the intro on his first try. I think every episode, except for one, there was like a single podcast that you messed it up. There's like one, I think there's one or two. One, and, and, in terms of there's probably one in terms of like oh we have to start this again so i can i can redo this but like other times i've tripped over the intro but just kept going yeah and then you're we like just oh, then you always call me out on it so like it's maybe it's been like kind of clunky anyway because the only time you screwed it. up was you just completely said the wrong word one time like then you just went welcome pegasus and then you just stopped and like, okay. <laughs> it's pretty well, now i'm gonna get it all in my head about this and i'm just gonna mess up perpetually for weeks 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 to come so we're just opening with psychological mind games but anyway ucf is rich. yeah UCF's going to get so much money. I so, so yes, that they're I, the the and well, I guess we can like say the number first before I just start analyzing it. But yeah, so the sixty there's a six year twenty or two point two eight billion dollar TV deal that the Big Twelve has reached with Fox and ESPN. It averages out to three hundred eighty million per year for the conference, and ultimately when they get to full payout mode or full payment, UCF will be getting around fifty million per year. And that's from the con the, the TV contract playoff money and NCAA tournament money, right? So the one thing I will say, because that's the number that's being thrown around is about 50 million. That is a super, super hypothetical number. And I'm not saying it won't be that. It could be a lot more than that. It could be around that. The issue is just that we have no idea yet how the payment structure is going to look for the new 12-team playoff. And that's where like tens of millions of that is going to come from. So yeah, the last thing I read, which was from ESPN, was that right now they're having a debate on how they're going to slice up that money because the new the new playoff, the 12 team playoff is going to be valued at something like one point two or one point three billion dollars a year. And I think the current one only brings in about six hundred million. Um, ridiculous. So naturally, the Big Ten and SEC are fighting that it will be distributed by number of teams who make it. Like if your team got four in the playoff, then you get a third of the payout. It's actually a little more complex than that because it's going so far down as like each it's divided by game if that makes sense so like if your team advances that counts as a piece of the pie for every um for every round you advance so basically the sec and big 10 want to make a ton of money and so if it if it breaks up that way i think the big 12 is still fine because i think the new big 12 in most years will probably they'll always have at least one team in and probably get 
two, maybe three. They would have had three last year. But either way, it's basically just we have to wait and to see how the playoff format works out and how the payment works out before we actually know. But either way, oh, my God, $50 million a year probably is insane. Even you if see, it's not. It didn't even make $8 million from the AAC last year. Yeah, the number, the other number I've seen is like $32 million. Is that like the money that's coming directly from that TV? Deal? Yeah, so $32 million is the base, like what ESPN and Fox are going to pay the Big 12. For comparison, what they were paying, what they're paying the Big 12 currently with Texas and Oklahoma each year is $22 million. So this is, it's, what's crazy is not even a year and a half ago, the, all the reports were like, yeah, the, it's going to really go down. The big 12 will be lucky to get like 12 million, 13 million, 14 million. The part that no one considered, which is why like, just stop listening to media who don't cover TV about TV things is the value of live sports has exploded in the last decade since that deal was signed. So yeah, the big 12 would have made way more money if Texas and Oklahoma stayed, but the value of live sports has grown so much in the last decade. And, and, and one thing that I found really interesting is that from the sports business journal report that broke this, they said Fox was really eager to get involved because of the parody of the conference. They really liked that. They're going to be able to broadcast a bunch of games where you don't just automatically know who's going to win when you go in. And the big 12 is the only legitimately talented yeah. league that can offer that. That's what I was going to say. I think with most other comic, that's probably a thing that's unique to the big 12 right now is that like, it's not even that like no one's good. It's more like everyone's good. Yeah. It's a it's really, like, really deep league. There's no pushover. crazy. It's especially crazy. with Kansas. I mean, I mean, the, and there's two reasons that's good. There are the two reasons that increase TV value. The first one is sports gambling is becoming a bigger and bigger part of the sport and TV networks and whatever love to be able to put up games where people can gamble on really interesting lines. And it's not just like, well, Alabama cover it's, you know, 30 point spread or not and stuff like yeah. that. And the other reason is with the 12 team playoff and the big 12 basically being guaranteed a spot because it's the top six conference champions every year. Those games in late October through November are going to be amazing when you're basically every game has playoff implications for the Big 12. Of, oh, who's going to get in that conference title game? Who's going to have a shot at the playoff? It's just a lot of good opportunity there. And that's part of the reason they're getting all this money. But main big like UCF specific takeaway, other than just the fact that UCF is now rich, congratulations to UCF on their wealth. Is lazy River time. Build the damn Lazy River. Build it. I, I want to see, well, 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 you know, all right, you get two years because you're not getting the 50 million until 2025, <laughs> but in two years, I want to see you build a lazy river. But the ACC- And not just sand. No, don't just, <laughs> that, that, Danny White strategy was they literally dumped a pile of sand, sand out, set up a lawn chair and said, see- Here's where it's going to be, right here. Never over that. There's still sand over there to this day, legend says. <laughs> um, the ACC, which is the conference that FSU and Miami are in, if you did not realize, um, in their most recent payout distributed total, this isn't the 32 million, this would be compared to UCS 50 million, 36 million to its members. And the ACC is in a bit of a problem because the ACC and in their infinite wisdom almost a decade ago now when realignment was rampant signed a deal that ran into the mid 2030s because they wanted to make sure their conference wouldn't fall apart. And great news, it's not going to fall apart. They're all going to be poor together. And the best part is that, and this is why I've decided that Brett Yormark is a genius commissioner, not only is UCF going to have literally as much as $10 million per year more than Miami and FSU in their payout, the Big 12's TV deal comes up for renewal before the ACC's. So UCF is then going to lap them again. Like we could live in a world six or seven years from now where UCF is literally making like 20 to 30 million more each year than FSU and Miami. Those schools have to be shaking. What an incredible, crazy shift in this short amount of time. Like yeah. I just would have never seen it coming and it's nice. It's great. Wouldn't have seen it coming as recently as six months ago because right. the narrative for the longest time was, Oh, the big 12 without Texas and Oklahoma. Remember as recently as when it was announced um, 
on like originally that the teams were going. I remember when Cincinnati was in the playoff race last year, Reese Davis said at one point, oh, they're moving to the Big 12 next year. You know, that's probably not going to be considered a power conference anymore once they get there, but blah, 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 blah. It's like, actually, it's going to be the third richest power conference, which is pretty insane. So yeah, this is yeah. just like happy celebration. This still, I know we've talked a lot about the last few weeks, like random surreal moments of like, oh, you said it's going to Big 12 next year. Like I'm watching TC West Virginia. And I'm like, wow, those are like conference mates next year. Just seeing the number and seeing how much money UCF is going to get, that they're going to be getting more money than like other power five teams is just, it's crazy. It's an awesome time. I'm very yeah. happy. No, and the, the fact too, that this all came like the morning after UCF beat Cincinnati, like it was just a great yeah. weekend for UCF. I mean, it was fantastic. And that's my little segue into some of the things we missed from the Cincinnati game. I literally, I think as soon as we stopped recording, I told you, oh, I forgot something. Yep. And we talked about how great of a game R.J. Harvey had with two touchdowns, both touchdown runs being insane. But Gus had said in his post-game press conference that, as I think it was as late as like last Sunday or at some point last week, they weren't even sure if R.J. was going to play. They were just saying they said he was banged up and they weren't 100% sure he was going to play. And then for him to do that, I mean, he's, that is he, crazy. he's RB1. Like, he just is, but. That's I think crazy. we're finally like, I think we're at the point. I know like the last three weeks, basically we've been like, has RJ Harvey cemented himself? It's for sure now. And I think even Gus's tone and how the coaches are talking in their media availabilities, it's like, okay, yeah, RJ's the guy. It really seemed like it was a thing of just keeping him healthy. And I got to say that touchdown run, the 17 yard run to win the game where he gets spun around and just literally backtracks into the end zone while staring down the Cincinnati players is I think one of my favorite UCF touchdowns ever. Like it might be a top five UCF touchdown for me. It is watched, so freaking cool. Watched it like three or four times. It was just, yeah. I mean, he just spins around and like, it's to the point where after he spins off the defender, like he's not in the end zone yet. And he has probably about two more yards, but there's just, he knows they're not going to get him. And so he yeah. doesn't have to like turn around and run or anything. He can just take two steps backwards and he's in the end zone. Imagine yeah. being a Cincinnati defender and you're trying to keep the game alive and you have your hands on the running back. He spins out of it. You turn around and watch him staring you down as he walks backwards <laughs> into the end zone. I mean, that's got to be the most like degrading thing ever, but. Yeah, no, I just he, he hopefully he can stay healthy and whatever issues he was dealing with won't be an issue this week because he is electric. I know we've said it a million times, but he's the best of both worlds. He combines, you know, some of Johnny's speed with some of Bowser's grit. And he's just a really crap. He reminds me of Greg McRae, honestly. I feel like his might be vision, the best one-to-one comparison. His vision, too, is what yeah. I think is so impressive about him. And he, he showed that on those touchdown runs and some of his better runs in the game. And I think it's like important, too, because. Suddenly, for some reason, this is just, I don't know if it works this way or it's just my mind, but with RJ as RB1, it's like you get a better version of Isaiah Bowser when he's RB2, I think. I agree with that. Because, like, it, when, I don't know, when he was RB1, and I'm not, I think we've said multiple times, it's probably like he hasn't been bad this year. It's just like he hasn't been. He hasn't he has, lived he has, up to what we thought he was. Yeah, and he doesn't break off like long run after long run. Like he's not going to ever really. He's not fast enough to break off a forty yard touchdown run. But he doesn't have to be in this offense, especially when he's RB two. He's going to come in in those short yardage situations, like he did when he had the go ahead touchdown before since he came back and scored. Um, he has I eleven touchdowns someone, this year for a reason. I need someone. God, is he really up to eleven? That's crazy. Yeah. I really desperately need someone who like deeply understands football to explain to me why teams cannot stop wild Bowser. What is it about that? that teams literally like, like if UCF needs three yards, they will just run that and they will get the three yards. I have not seen it stopped. And I don't understand why it's so difficult for opposing. Does teams. he ever, cause he, they always do the option. Does he ever hand off? No, they've, they, they just fake does. the option every single time. I guess it's just one of those things where the opposing team like is like, well, we have to account for that. Cause if we yeah. don't, they'll burn us. I don't even know if it's a real option. Like, I, I just, I want someone who like really understands that play to break it down for me. Cause I don't get it. It's like a magic trick. 
it just, I don't know. It just seems like doing the option and maybe it isn't really, is it just a dummy option? I don't know, but I think maybe it just gives him a second to kind of survey where he can, you know, where he can go with the ball. And he just has the ability to kind of take a second to be like, all right, there's the hole. And he's big enough to where if he hits a hole, he's going to get another yard or two after that. So yeah. it's just, it's crazy how effective that's And it's been. not even like UCF's O-line has been lighting it up this year either. And I got to say, that's part of the reason RJ is valuable too when you talk about his vision and why him really taking on a bigger role is opening up things for the offense. Because having a running back who can take the ball, freeze for half a second, see the play isn't there and adjust, when you have an O-line that's a little shaky, that is valuable. And we saw that more than a few times against Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um Next thing I had on here, it in on on our outline, it literally just says RG three. <laughs> um, I, man, I love RG three. Yeah, like, I, I don't know. I think we both watch the broadcast now, right? Yeah. I just, man, he brings so much to games. I just, he is welcome back at UCF to call a game whenever he freaking wants. <laughs> and it, it was just funny. I was telling you yesterday when I was like, I want to talk about RG three because it was like he just makes the game so entertaining. But outside of all of that, like. I feel like it did a service for UCF to where like all of the broadcasts, he was just gushing about how much he loves UCF and how like how the energy in the stadium was great, how he had so much fun at Spirit Splash and like whoever's whosever idea it was to have him out at Spirit Splash. I don't know if that was something ESPN was like, hey, can he like come do this? Or if UCF was like, you got to come see this. But the fact that he ran in with the students and like they had a whole like, I don't know, like three or four part segment on it throughout the game. Lost his and then he's got. Yeah, I lost his wedding ring. Shout out to the student who found it for him because that could have been a bad situation. But um, just, I don't know, because then throughout the game, then it was Mark Jones, his partner was like, oh, and like, we got we to come back out next year. And I'll, I'll go into the fountain. Like, I'll go in for Spirit Splash with you. And they're like, yeah, they'll have us back out next year. So like, you've got two, like the, the top ESPN broadcasters who do these like big, important games. Like, oh, if they'll have us back out, like hopefully they'll have us back out for homecoming next year. I was just like, cool to hear. I was like, this is, this is good for UCF and RG. I just RG three. I don't know. I don't think I said it on the podcast, but I was like telling you because they showed like uh, he did like kind of like a hype video, or not really the hype video. He just did some kind of video for UCF that they played on the video board um, before the game, like right before kickoff. And I tweeted and I was like, "It's a nice video board message from UCF legend RG 3 Because like it's just like funny because I mean he went to Baylor, obviously won the Heisman at Baylor, but he just all of a sudden feels like he has connection to UCF for some reason. He's exactly what you want from a really good color commentator where he basically serves as the hype man for the home team. And I don't mean that like he <laughs> does things that are unfair or, Oh, he tried, yeah. but he's just, he's really good. And he's done it with other teams. And it's really impressive. Whenever I watch him is he learns the culture of that school. He learns what matters to them. He learns what stands out and he leans into it and celebrates it. And that just makes him such a good broadcaster. I mean, he adds so much. Some of the things he just says too are just funny. Like him, him calling Morris, uh, Tremont Morris Brash and Gene Baptiste, the, the hyphen the brothers. Hyphen like, brothers. We're I feel calling like that for the rest yeah, of the year. That's going to be a thing from now on. And after um, I was, it was a huge moment in the game. And I was like crying, laughing, watching it back last night where uh, Katie McDaniel gets the strip sack at the end. And he says something like, they say that in the biggest moments, your biggest players make big plays but they're like, who the heck is this guy? And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I also loved how casually, because he brings up early on when he has his keys, he's like the hyphen brothers, you know, Tron Morris, Brash, yeah. my G Baptiste. And then late in the game, I forget which one of them made a, made a play and he was just like, really nice move by the hyphen brother. I'm just like, he's just sticking with it. <laughs> yeah. No, he's, he has, he's the, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, like UCF fans have like forged really random connections with broadcast crews, like Adam Amin back in the yeah. day. Like it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. So it was a really fun yeah. time. Hopefully they do make it back out for another game next year. And then well, last and thing, 
<laughs> you oh, say yeah, it's going to be like basically entirely on ESPN and Fox from now on. So I'd say it's likely. Yeah, probably so. Um, the last thing I had on here was just a little bit more on the comfort and just poise that Mikey Keene showed watching him back on both of the, the like last two drives, but especially that last drive when UCF gets the ball back with three minutes left. And it's just like they moved down the field as if it was just the easiest thing ever. Like it, it, it looked, it, it looked so smooth. He hit, um, what was the first one? I think Hudson was the one that he hit on kind of an out route toward the sideline. And then he gets a couple yards after the catch. Then he hits O'Keefe, who he was familiar with from last year, obviously. And O'Keefe gets some yards after the catch. And then he gets a 12-yarder to Baker, I think getting them down to like the 20. And from the 20, they had over a minute left. And then I think it was Bowser gets a couple yards. And then Harvey breaks off the run. But it was just like so quickly they moved down the field, which allowed them to get into the position where they're at the 20-yard line. They have all this time left. I think they all they had all three of their timeouts still. So it was like he put them in such a good position. And then obviously... I mean, RJ breaking off that run when he did was almost scary because it left time for Cincinnati. But I just that drive, man, I don't I don't know what to say. I just uh, yeah, it's crazy. Can I just say that I think that I deserve a pat on the back and I think you do, too, because I have not been gloating nearly as much as I could about Mikey coming in and the offense looking the most effective it's looked all year. Um, no, I haven't. I, we could I've, have been real jerks about it. And I feel like we haven't been. And I'm proud of us for that. What I've been doing is more so just celebrating that Mikey had that moment. I mean, I, I wrote that piece for Night Sports Now. If you haven't read that, go read it now. Yep. Um, but I wrote that and I've been tweeting about just I don't know. It's just it's been fun to like kind of give him some shine over the last couple of days because he deserves it. And we were. I mean, we were right all along, but. We don't, I mean, that's the thing is, I think there's almost, we don't have to, we more, don't have to talk about how right we were. That's fine. We that's the thing. Like it. there's almost more, it's almost more to it. That's just like, yeah, like we know we were right. We don't have to go out and say it because we were. I like that take. My take has just been, I've, I've been trying to grow as a person when it comes to Twitter <laughs> and I'm trying to not like be, you know, cause which, which to be fair, some people were real jerks to us when J, you know, when JRP would have one of his good games versus one of his horrible games and then they'd forget yeah. the horrible game, blah, blah. But um, I think when you talk about that, those last couple drives by Mikey, the difference is exactly what we talked about all offseason is when you have a Mikey led offense, he's accurate. He gets the ball downfield. The, de- the defense has to account for that. That opens up things for RJ Harvey. That opens up things for Johnny, for, for Isaiah Bowser. And even in JRP's best games, opposing defenses just don't really fear him as a passer. And that has hurt them. And he can be as mobile and as, and as athletic as he wants, but that still closed down the offense in a couple of different ways. You're not taking as much advantage of the wide receivers as you could, and you're closing things down for the running backs. And the big counter argument to that has been, oh, well, you know, the O-line isn't very strong this year. And we've all known that. So that's why you need, we've talked about that on this podcast that, you know, th- that JRP is the one who can escape that pressure. Mikey showed against Cincinnati that he has no issue reading pressure and getting away from it. He's not like JRP right. where he's going to, you know, run freaking 100 miles an hour and burst out for 20 yards downfield when that when something doesn't work out but he's also not like jrp where he's going to dance around and stall and make nothing happen and get sacked for negative two yards he feels pressure he avoids it that's it that's that's what i was going to say was like what good does it do when you have jrp who will will get out of the pocket and will run a little bit but what he's been doing lately it's like he didn't do it that much earlier in the season and i don't know if they told him hey keep your eyes downfield try to make that play but what he's been doing more lately is he's been kind of dancing around trying to find something downfield and never really getting his legs going forward to where he just loses two or three yards. My and... theory on that, honestly, is that they, because I know that that was a big issue they had with him was that he wasn't ever trying to make a play downfield. If the initial play wasn't there, he was taking off. And he, and it's so weird because he literally for one game was able to do that against Temple. He did it several times, but 
it's felt like the last few games that he is trying to keep his eyes downfield and he just isn't good at that. Like that's basically yeah. what it is. And, and that just made it even worse because he, at least when he was taking off, you'd get three or four yards out of the play. This whole cycle we got into the last few games where he just feels the pressure darts out sort of just like hops around a little bit, dodges a couple of guys that ends up getting sacked for <laughs> a, a loss of one, a loss of two on yeah. repeat. I mean, he, I mean, he's had what less than 40 rushing yards, three straight games. I just I going so, into Cincinnati. Yeah. I think so. I don't listen, you know where we stand on this. And I think that it finally got backed up. Cincinnati is the best defense they're going to face for the rest of the year. Probably the best defense they faced all year. And yeah. the offense with Mikey Keene looked as methodical and as, as an effective as it's looked all year. It didn't look as explosive and that's fine because the explosion, the explosiveness isn't worth it when the offense is going up and down like a freaking seesaw. So, well, that's a great word for it is methodical. Cause you look at that last drive and this is kind of, I guess we can kind of transition almost into our preview of Memphis. Cause we'll, we'll talk about yep. the quarterback situation, but with Mikey coming out there and it's not like, I'm going to say like, Oh, I knew he was going to lead them down the field and score a touchdown. Like it was, or it was just more just like, I think they had a better chance. Cause like, you know, a little bit more what you're going to get out of him as a passer. Yeah. When when JRP like, yeah, JRP can make some great throws at times, but he hasn't done that on a regular basis, especially not in a situation like that. I don't think he's been put in a situation. Well, he has actually against Louisville, um, but you don't really know. Great. Yeah, you don't really know what you're going to get when he steps back and tries to throw a ball. Um, and so defenses just... play you differently when they realize that it's not like a done deal that if, you know, they give you some length downfield that you're going to do something with it. With Mikey that I mean, you talk about RJ having a big game. Mikey opened up that game for RJ with his downfield passing. And that's just not really something that we got from JR. Because defenses have to respect it at that point. And that's um, the thing is even uh, literally other than the two games that he looked amazing, defenses just have not respected JRP downfield at all. And that's hurt. Yeah. And I don't think they've had to. Um, no, because maybe he'll hit a throw every now and then, but it's so up and down that it's like, it's worth the risk. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay. Yeah. We can move into our, our preview of UCF Memphis. Uh, it's number 25 UCF, I should say. Oh my God. Number 25 in both the coaches and AP polls. They're six and two, three and one in the AAC, obviously winning 25, 21 on Saturday against Cincinnati, number 20 Cincinnati at the time. Uh, they're going on the road this week. So are we to Memphis. Memphis is four and four, two and three in the AAC. They were on a bye last week, uh, but their last time out, they lost 38, 28 to Tulane. They've lost three in a row. So, this isn't this isn't your 2017 Memphis, your 2018 Memphis. Even this is a Memphis that's been struggling. So yeah. it's an it's an interesting one for UCF. I know we'll talk a little bit later about their struggles on the road outside of the state, especially. But where we have to start, obviously, is what's going to happen at quarterback. We don't really have a clear answer, and I don't think we'll get a clear answer until maybe Saturday. Yeah, Gus today basically just didn't want to talk about the quarterbacks. He gave a lot. He basically just kept saying over and over again, "Oh, JRP will take a day today." And I'd love to know who's starting, but I'm fine with that because, you know, uh, those yeah. are two very, very different quarterbacks and Memphis is coming off a bye. So forcing them to basically have to prepare for two different guys is valuable. And I'm good with that. Um, I can't fathom JRP playing in this game. And that has nothing to do with, oh, I think Mikey should be the starter. I just, I mean, he got hit so badly and was concussed so badly that he could not walk on his own to get off the field. And I just think with the age we're in with the two Otago Bailoa stuff, I, I just, I don't see how he plays that game. I don't see how they don't hold him out for a game, especially because there's no way he was good to practice today. And yeah. I just don't buy I, that he can, he's going to go through a full week of practice and be ready to play after that. I just don't buy it. That's the thing. It's like, even if he clears protocol, he might clear it, what, Wednesday or Thursday at that point. Is it like, are you able to throw him back in head first? And that was kind of, that was a bad pun. Wasn't supposed oh, to be a pun. Um, but are you going to throw him back into the offense on? You should have just week? let that one go. You shouldn't have even called yourself out for that one. <laughs> on a week, on a week where he didn't practice fully, 
are you going to want to do that? Or are you going to, Hey, give the, give the reps to this guy who you can win with, you know, that Gus acknowledged that, Hey, we have these two guys that we can win with it just, yeah. I mean, for the optics of it, it just doesn't seem reasonable to expect him one week after a hit like that, after getting a concussion to come back. And and I just don't, cause I know, I mean, you probably can clear concussion protocol in a week, but like whenever someone does, Whenever someone does, you kind of just feel like a little uh, iffy about it. You're like, I don't really know if I want him going back back out there. Because they, they say, I mean, all the stuff that comes out these days, like if you get two concussions or you take two hits like that and, you know, you're, you've only just recovered from the other, it's just, it's bad. It's scary. And what and you so, just said, that's the issue that I'm trying to talk about here is it's not, will he be recovered from the concussion last week? Because you absolutely can clear concussion protocol in a week, easy. But like yeah. you just talked about, the issue is real scary stuff starts becoming a possibility when you suffer a second concussion while you have not recovered from the first one. Like people can die from that. So I, you know, we talk about it like it's sports, it's football. We love it. Obviously we care very much about UCF, but like player safety still like has to be the number one thing. And I just, I feel like it would be borderline irresponsible for him playing that game. I really do. And I almost like would say maybe it's a little more likely if UCF was like one of those, the many teams we see now in the portal era that basically just have no depth at quarterback and it's your starter or a walk-on, but like UCF, has a guy they know they can win with. There's yeah. no reason for them to risk the health of their number one guy. I, I just, I don't know. I think it'd be really irresponsible if he played. And I'm sure he wants to play. The player always wants to play, but sometimes you have to sort of do what's best for them and be like, listen, you don't understand how. And honestly for JRP, maybe, maybe he gets that. Cause you know, he doesn't see, I mean, he he's, there's no pro future in football for him. There isn't baseball. Does he really want to take this kind of risk for a game that UCF can probably win without him? I mean, he's talking about his future here. Yeah. It's, it's one of the things it's just, there's just these scary possibilities. And I think, I almost wonder if not going to say like they've already made a decision or they already know, but I think they will know. Like I think they might know. They could know now, but they might I'll bet know you very anything early they know. I'll week. bet you anything they know right now, but they're not going to say anything yeah. and that they shouldn't say anything. They shouldn't. I'm fine with that. I mean, as a fan, yeah, I'd love if he came out and said, Mikey, I'm like, Oh great. We can do a podcast previewing Mikey Keene against Memphis, but I'd way rather Memphis being like, you know, he's probably not going to play, but we're going to have to, we're right. going to have to work on that anyway. Cause we just don't know. Especially because they're two very different quarterbacks. That's well, the, that's what that, makes that's it so thing. valuable. Is there's, I mean, the offense. I also just don't. Someone asked us, or I think it was Jason Beatty asked us today about how the play calling changes when Mikey comes in. He's like, we ran the exact same offense, and I'm like, no, you didn't. Wrong. You just <laughs> flat out didn't. Like we watched the game, man. <laughs> like what? Yeah, I don't I know. It's, it definitely looks different. So yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what will happen. I, I think, and I'm very heavily leaning toward this being a week where, hey, they need to be careful with his with his concussion and, and all that, the protocols with that. So, I mean, if I were, if I were to have to bet, I would probably say Mikey's going to be the starter and he's going to be the guy, um, which, which leaves the, the weird possibility or the weird thing where like you go into the game with Tommy as your backup, if JRP is ruled out. And if at any point you need Tommy to step in and play, there goes his red shirt or wild Bowser for three quarters. Um, Fair enough. RJ used to play quarterback. Hey, so here's the real question. There's actually a lot of guys on this team. It's yeah. Gatewood's time. Um, Gatewood. um, here's the real question though. And I know we're like way ahead of ourselves here and it's not, you know, there's nothing I love more than acting like UCF's going to win a game. They haven't played yet, but, um, ECU, so let's say baby. that, oh, <laughs> oh, should we even talk about the whole ECU, whatever the hell? Um, do you want to wait till the, I don't know how to fit that. Should we talk about that? Let me do it really or... quickly. Cause okay. I don't really want to talk about it. So the, yeah. I'm, I'm going to like not say a lot about it. Cause I feel like people on Twitter are getting very close to like defamation, which is a real thing, guys. You can't just <laughs> say that people did something wrong and you know, um that i don't know i think it started in the dungeon right there was like rumors that oh ucf fired this ga and he gave information or whatever to 
East Carolina, whether it, which that, that was the, that was my first big skeptical thing is the quote unquote information that was given to East Carolina has like changed a billion times from like the source where this started. It was, oh, he gave some defensive play signs to East Carolina. And by the time it was big on Twitter, it was like he gave the entire offensive playbook to them. They, yeah. had, they had all the charts, they had everything. I'm just like, my, my main takeaway from this is like, hey, guys, you are straight up like defaming a person if you're just declaring they did this and don't know if they did or not, because this is literally just a tailgate slash message board rumor. Second, there will be no punishment for it. Like, say it's true. It's like this stuff happens like more they, than they you They don't think. turn around and say, hey, actually, we're going to give this win to UCF. Like, it doesn't no. matter. Sign stealing, which I know this is more involved than that if it did happen. Sign stealing is a huge thing in college football. If you ever heard of Wakey Leaks, Wake Forest basically played two years with their version of Mark Daniels giving all the plays to the opposing teams because he didn't like the coach. And there were there were all the teams accepted it and there were no repercussions. It's just what it is, what it is. And the second thing on that is I understand that if East Carolina knew what UCF was going to do before they did it, that would have had an impact on the game. But a lot of what, what went wrong for UCF, like, wasn't really part of that. I mean, like JRP, like holding the ball two feet away from his body and it getting knocked out was not because of play calling and Holton Ayler's lasering. I mean, when you've got a DB and a wide receiver up against each other, they both go up for a 50, 50 ball and the wide receiver happens to give it, get it. That wasn't like, Oh, they knew what they were going to do. That's just a yeah. good play. And those are the moments UCF lost on. So like, I'm not, I'm not going to, I mean, UCF got crushed. I'm not going to stand here and be like, Oh, well, yes, I believe the rumor of this. And if the rumor was true, then UCF would have won by 40. It's like, I also just think that it's a really, really bad look for UCF fans, whether it is true or not, that you're now the fan base that's just like whining on Twitter that the one game you lost that you didn't want to, it's because they cheated. Like, I just don't think yeah. that's you know? Whether it's true or not, no one's going to believe it's true except UCF fans, so you're just making UCF fans look bad when you declare that, so. It just makes me think about the SpongeBob movie when at the end he's like, SpongeBob, like, Plankton cheated. <laughs> I don't know why that's what popped into my head, but that is yeah. Very, okay, so I'm glad we, glad, we, glad we mentioned it, but anyway. we don't need to spend any more time on it um i don't even remember how we got there um, uh because i oh i oh thank god you said that because i had a point i wanted to make because i said <laughs> that i love acting like ucf's won a game before they've won yeah. it, and you were like like ecu and then i was like oh should we talk about it? and then we went through yeah, it. yeah okay okay cool so the point i wanted to make is so that assuming mikey does start which i think is probably what's going to happen and the offense once again looks very effective and ucf wins and mikey looks good that's where it gets interesting to me yeah what I, don't, happens I, don't know, I don't know what happens after that because then you're also like up next is like the most important game of your season. So like, what, what do you do at that point? I don't even, I don't think I wouldn't even say, I know what Gus would do a week ago. I would have said, he, Oh, he'll just stick with JRP. But like if Mikey goes up and beat Cincinnati and Memphis in back-to-back weeks and looks good doing it, the offense continues to look as effective as it, if it looks like I said, Memphis defense, is not Cincinnati's defense. So he should look good. They should look good. What do you do at that point? <laughs> I don't know. What do you do? I, I don't know. Like I, I still, I still envision, Gus probably just going back to his starter because that's the guy he picked as his starter. And once oh. he's healthy, that's his that's his guy. But I don't I know. Like that. It's it's the talk about the optics of turning around and playing a guy one week after concussion. Like the optics optics of that are kind of hard to defend. If a yeah. guy comes, if your backup comes in and plays really well for two quarter or two games in a row, wins you two big games, including one on the road, and then you go like, okay, thanks for that. But you know, back to the bench you go. I don't know. It's, it's I feel like one potential I guess like, that's the role of a backup. I don't know. I feel like my theory might right now might be that JRP would come back and start, but he probably has a pretty short leash because if JRP comes back and then they find themselves like down 13-0 to Tulane in the second quarter, like at that point, Gus is probably like, 
you know, we, what did I screw this up? Like, let's just go. I mean, <laughs> it's funny how all summer we were worried about like, Oh, is this going to end up as a season where we're flip-flopping between quarterbacks and it took until November, but we are yeah. in fact finally here. So now we're down the final, the final third of the season. We're like, all right, we might see this guy or this guy. I like that. We waited until UCF was in the top 25 with the chance to host <laughs> the conference title game and go to the Cod Bowl. And we're like, and now we're going to do the quarterback controversy. Yeah. It's going to be fun. At least, at least it wasn't a thing where like they, they just chose to do this. It's like, this had I mean, no this had it, it was it's, it's an unfortunate injury. circumstance but yeah, yeah so now we'll this is the happens. situation they're in so it's it's yeah it's it's weird but okay we'll stay on the quarterbacks here for our first key stat and um this is that uh, in the second half of saturday's game obviously mikey keen playing this whole second half he completed more passes that traveled at least 10 yards down the field than john rice Plumley has in any game this season in any full game this season yeah and, and that's that speaks to the offense just looking different that's the thing. And it makes such a difference. It's like, you have to be able to make plays downfield. And we've seen that against John Rice Pumley for exactly six quarters and in the other games, not so much. And it, it honestly, it was what Mikey's great at. And he showed potential there last year and looked so much better at it this year. Crazy guys, how true freshmen get better after, you know, another year. I can't system. believe that people were like, I, I, I just, yeah. I just, a lot of people on Twitter were like, well, I didn't, you know, I, I, I wasn't team Mikey because like he, you know, uh, he, we saw, he, we saw how it was last year and it's like do you guys understand anything like anything <laughs> like really you, you think that a true freshman is a finished product like Mackenzie Milton it's like everything we heard through spring and fall is that Mikey looked much better and isn't it a shock when he and how, how he hard he was better. working too? like all all I think shortly after the gas bubble got back to work got in the gym and put on some weight just getting ready for the season yeah, like I remember thought that all that work was just like, oh, he's still gonna be the same guy. Yeah, he's just gonna be the exact same player as well. It's just ridiculous. But anyway, the point <laughs> is that we saw the seeds of that skill last year. I mean, where he really hurts defenses is that like sort of like middle ground, like 10 to 15 yards past the line of scrimmage area. And they just they gashed Cincinnati there. And like I said before, that opened things up for RJ, that opened things up for Bowser. And I, I just having that skill. Because truth be told, JRP, even at his very best, there's been virtually none of that. It's been like passes behind the line of scrimmage or like taking shots downfield. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. And that that lets defenses find ways to shut you down. And Mikey, it's not so much. Mikey, when you have a de- when you have an offense that can hurt you in multiple different ways, then those different ways not being which player is going to run with the ball, the running back or the quarterback, <laughs> then yeah, it sets things up nicely. Yeah. No, I mean, like we, that's we, what we saw is when you can stretch the defense out like that, you, you take those those 15 yard passes they're giving you or like you find the pockets of 10 yards that you can move the ball suddenly they have to respect that and there's more room to run for guys like rj like isaiah and yeah it, it's it's one of those things it, it did look different i don't know maybe gus is saying like oh they didn't like the play calling itself wasn't different but just the way the offense looked very clearly was was different we didn't I think see the, the i think the offense like itself like the playbook obviously was not different yeah. but they called different plays they called plays to mikey strengths which, which is what you should do yeah, no, and, and I, I liked, for the most part, I liked a lot of what they did. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it works out, obviously, depending on who who's starting on Saturday. But um, we'll jump into, I didn't ask you the order of this. Do you want to do the... This the, is fine. The order you have is fine. Okay, cool. So key stat number two is that UCF comes in this game at number 25 in the country. They, at all time, they're 37 and five when playing as a ranked team. Yeah, that's uh, pretty good. I tweeted that, that uh, a few days ago. They, yeah. Uh, Honestly, like all of those losses are from like 2020 and 2019, by the way. There's like one yeah. from, it was like in 2010, they got ranked. I think it was their first time ever getting ranked and they immediately lost to Southern Miss, which I like vaguely remember. I was pretty young at the time, but. It's very USF-esque. Yeah, that's a pretty good record though for ranked teams. I'm willing yeah, to I mean, Off that, the top of my head, I just thought of they lost to Cincy in 2019 as a ranked team and they lost 
to both. They lost to Pitt and Cincy in 19 as a ranked Oh, Pitt team. and Cincy, yeah. They lost to Tulsa in 20. Um, yeah. They lost to LSU in 2018 and then Southern Miss in 2010. Yeah, those are the five. That's pretty crazy. good. Then 37 wins. Good. So, I, first off, I'm stunned they're ranked. And that, that was a real, like, UCF has made it as a program moment for me because I think UCF has, like, reached the status where, like, if they win a game and people are just looking for teams at the end of their ballot, they're like, oh, UCF won this weekend. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they got a top 20 win this weekend. How, um, what would you have thought if I told you that, hey, like, in the offseason, I'm like, Bailey, guess what? Um, UCF is going to go to East Carolina, 4-3 and three East Carolina, and lose 34-13. to 13, And eight days later, they will be ranked. Yeah, no, it just didn't make sense. It, it, it didn't at all. And kind of what I thought was like, yeah, they'll get some votes this week and then maybe they'll set themselves up in a position. I mean, especially we saw some of the people, some of the voters releasing their ballots on Sunday morning. And I was like, okay, it seems like at this point they're getting enough votes to where maybe they'll be 25 or 26, 27, 28, and they'll set themselves up to maybe win on the road at Memphis and then get ranked. But no, they just jumped straight from not getting any votes after losing the ECU all the way up to number 25. So there were two things that led to it, as far as I can tell. The first is playing on ESPN is freaking valuable. That game yeah. got a lot of attention. It was a good, close game between we don't two have the ratings that yet, everyone's we? heard. Of. We don't have the ratings yet. I was just <laughs> double-checking again right now because they haven't <laughs> out yet today. I really want to see them. Uh, but, you know, the ESPN account was tweeting highlights, ESPN. CBI. It was just a game that got a lot of attention. It's two teams people. It, it's a rivalry at this point. And whenever you have a rivalry between two teams people are familiar with on ESPN, it'll get a lot of views. So people were very aware of UCF. The other thing when I was going through individual ballots is – a lot of writers kept Cincinnati ranked. And once you have a team that has the same record as them and beat them, you kind of have to put that team ahead of them. Oh, and UCF got really high in a lot of ballots because people wanted to keep Cincinnati at 24th or 25th. That's interesting to me too, honestly. Yeah. So that was kind of how it happens. Two writers had UCF at 18th, which like, <laughs> hey, we're big UCF folks, but um, <laughs> really 18th. <laughs> Don't know about that one, but that's, sure. That's crazy. Well, what's going to be really interesting now to see is is the college football playoff rankings, which dropped the first the first. I'm so excited! Oh man, they, they I dropped Tuesday to, night. And... You know what I've missed most from UCF being so good is Tuesday night just being a national holiday of hate and and <laughs> getting back to that because I because I, I feel like the committee is not going to rank UCF. I, I it, wait 25th is there's tough. really yeah there's really no reason to but then you look at both both polls and you're like they're ranked in both polls like why don't they have a shot at being 25th in the college I mean, they i the only only way no actually no i'm gonna talk myself out of that because i forgot about tulane so i was like they're probably gonna want to say like hey we need to rank at least one group of five to kind of have a leader in the clubhouse to to be that representative and i just just it's gonna be tulane that's what i think and i feel like tulane is gonna be like 24th like that, yeah. that's where actually i don't know because they're all about the wins and tulane does have a win over kansas state who might be the mm-hmm. favorite to win the big 12 at this point other than tcu so emo i don't know but yeah that's a thing but um i'm i'm curious to, I, I just i can't wait i already like have tweets saved for when ucf is it's just gonna be a fun <laughs> time it's gonna be a fun night i'm really looking forward to it but yeah anyway the stat 37 and 5 as a ranked team and if they can get to 38 and 5 we will have a very good time it really shouldn't be that hard to beat this memphis team no, it shouldn't. It really shouldn't. It seems like they're kind of, and I know they had a bye last week, which probably helps them, but I, it seems like before the bye, they were kind of just in a free fall. And they haven't beaten anyone who's remotely good this year. Like they're yeah. when you look at Memphis's schedule, it's just basically they've had the fortune of playing four teams that are not good, and those are the teams they've beaten. Yeah, and that's that's who Temple, Navy, uh, North Texas, and Arkansas State. Yeah. Only one of those teams has a winning record, by the way, and it's North Texas, who's five and four. Those wins are those teams are a combined 12 and 22. Like this is not Memphis nice. should not be tough. Shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. Um, the one thing, one element of it that we don't love to see um, UCF is one and five. This is key center three UCF's one and five in games outside of the state under Gus Malzahn. 
Yeah. And that one win was over Temple, and Temple was very, very bad. So the issue is, like, last year I didn't care about that at all because they were so injured. They had they were down to very little skill talent. They were starting true freshman quarterback. I was like, you know, road games are tough. Yeah, and and the toughest opponents they had were on the road. Yes. And then UCF went and got crushed by East Carolina. And to some of you, it's because they cheated, but also like they just <laughs> lost very badly. So I don't know. I, I don't, it, it, I, are we at the point where that's a trend? Like, is it like, okay, we're into se- the second season here and it's still happening? If they lose, I say if they lose on Saturday, then yes. Then it's a thing. Because this but, is another like situation. This is a team that they should be. They match yeah. up very well with. They are more talented than. It's not going to be a tough home atmosphere. They should win this game. And I know last year was for the most part, not, it was a lot of it was the injuries and playing such tough opponents, but before all the injuries, I know they had some injuries, but it did kind of start with that game at Louisville. Yeah. Where, I mean, they had Dylan Gabriel for the whole game and they lost. Then they went, so, they, well, that was weird. And then like they go to, you know, Annapolis and play Navy and it's another game where they're like up a lot yeah. and should win and then they blow it. It's just been a weird, I don't know. And I feel like this year UCS is particularly susceptible to it because their schedule was so front loaded, front loaded with home games. I mean, they, they yeah. that, this is the, literally just going to be, I mean, it's November and this is going to be their second legitimate road environment of the season. Yeah. And then, so then it's back-to-back weeks, obviously. So they play at Memphis this week and then they'll go at Tulane, which well, is I said their- legitimate home environment. Okay, well, Tulane can win as many games as they want. That stadium is like people call UCF Stadium a high school stadium. Like that stadium is tiny, and (laughs) I'm and I'm not entirely convinced Tulane has a lot. Well, what I'm wondering, the whole thing I'm wondering is, is it is it atmosphere or is it just being away from the bounce house? Because they lost SMU last. I mean, last year I know they were banged up, yeah, and it was it was rough, but SMU didn't have any. SMU that game didn't feel like atmosphere to me. That game just felt like the team was really spent at that point, and SMU had a pretty pretty vicious offense last year smu bench mordecai we talked about that oh no i didn't i didn't know that i don't know why we're gonna we're not gonna get on the podcast but yeah the mordecai the era, yeah for those of you interested the mordecai era came to an end at smu so but anyway bad. yeah um, i liked him but um do you have our record record predictions because no i don't have it I'm, I'm not prepared for the podcast i i like the one thing i do i didn't do sorry okay well i went two and one last week i do know that um mine were all really ironic last week so i just didn't even like you know i think i was i think i was eight and ten last week and so now maybe i would be ten and eleven does that I can get there right? really quickly so hold on i'm looking at what that could were. you were right. eight you were eight you were nine and twelve last week oh nine and twelve so now week. i'm now i'm eleven and thirteen um i and went were, i went oh and three. Oh, because i did all my super specific like angry predictions so that's right so i'm eight and sixteen okay and what did I just say I was? You're Sorry, 11 and 13. 11 and 13. Yep. Man, it would be nice to just get it above 500. That'd I'm doing cool. real predictions this week, guys. That's good. I'm back. It's probably good. Um, just do like you want to start? I am back. Yes. Do you want to? Okay, go ahead. Um, my first prediction is that Mikey Keene will start a quarterback for UCF. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm 8 and yeah. 16, man. I got it. Going I out on a limb there. <laughs> yeah, crazy that I'm that It's going to be hilarious. That the guy though, who got hit so badly he couldn't stand is not probably going to be ready to play. So I just, yeah. Yeah, I honestly though, like Mikey Keene jokes aside, like it's so irresponsible if they play John Rice Plumley. I, I just, after a hit like that, it really is. So I just, I'm hoping that UCF is going to do the right thing. there. Well, I, it's funny. I, I saw, so I was obviously at the game and then I got back uh, home on Sunday and that gave me a chance to kind of rewatch it and then talk about the game with my dad. And my dad had said he was surprised they let him even come back out to the sideline. I know he was wearing sunglasses and all that, but like, I was too with all the noise, with the sun, just everything. And I know the, the sideline, I, I don't know, told him, I was like, the sideline at that point is in the shade for UCF, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, he had I sunglasses know. on. He had a, his hoodie up. He just didn't I don't know look what like protocol. someone who should be back out there. I don't know. 
don't know what the protocol okay. is on that or what, what, what if that really affects anything. But yeah, I mean, it's I feel kind of like surprised. concussions happen so much in football. We just kind of like, oh, you got a concussion. It's like a concussion is literally, isn't it basically like a bruise on your brain? Like that's not something. Like, yeah, it's sounds terrible. Like I yeah. just, you know, it's anyway, crazy. Yeah. You have, like it, it's become so commonplace where you're like, oh yeah, it's concussion. Like no, it's oh, a yeah, it's, a concussion. <laughs> it's actually to the point where it's like, oh, it's just a concussion. Like okay, didn't like you know tear his ACL. Football's a violent sport, guys. But yeah, anyway, crazy. I'm predicting that Mikey Keen will get the start due to JRP okay. status. Um, I actually thought about that. I was like, should I predict the quarterback? But then it was like one of those things where it's like, as right as the game starts, I could be wrong. And I was like, I want one that's like, I have the whole game to root for. That's fair. Um, my first one is that UCF's defense will force its first turnover in, in a month. Have they not forced a turnover in a month? They sure haven't. It, the last was one it was the Georgia uh, Tech one. No, it was SMU. It was no, it was October fifth, and this game will be played on November fifth. I think it was November fourth. Yeah, November fifth. Okay. I have a question though. Does the yes. safety not count as a turnover? It doesn't. Well, that's dumb. Yes, it is. It's like a sack. It's like a turnover. On, I guess it's more of a turnover on downs. I guess is what it, I don't know. I looked at the, I looked at the column and the turnover column from Cincinnati, and it said zero to zero to zero. I feel well, like not a zero to zero, can't. two to zero because I don't get how that doesn't count as a turnover. It's just a turnover that you also get points for. It's not an interception or a say, or a fumble, I guess. I but it know. ends that team's possession. Same as so does a turnover on downs. And what was that you just said? A turnover on downs. Turnover, the turnover on, on downs is not counted as a turnover. <laughs> I just feel like a. All right. Well, now that we're on a philosophical debate of whether a safety, I really feel like a safety should count as a turnover. I don't know that I disagree with you. I'm just saying it doesn't. Like that's just that's. It's no, not I'm not saying your prediction's invalid. I'm just having an issue with the sport that is football now. Because how could you say <laughs> that that is not a turnover? I don't. I mean, it's literally the team turning the ball over. And and you could argue turnover on downs. It's like okay, well, if a team's like a team doesn't have to go for it on fourth down, like they can avoid the chance at a turnover. Like a safety is literally just you have the ball and you screw up, and now yeah. the other team has the ball. No, I think you have a good point. Okay, I'm gonna yeah, just I'm gonna send a letter to the NCAA and we'll see if we can get that fixed. But I don't anyway, know if in, I don't know if it's an NCAA NCAA thing. I think who makes a, the rules if it's not the NCAA? Who does football? I don't know. Football. I think it's a thing in the NFL too. Like I don't think it counts in the NFL as well. I don't care about the NFL. I'm just worried about the NCAA. All right, well, send it to the NCAA then if you want. This was um, a tangent. But yeah, so zero turnovers forced against Temple, ECU, and Cincinnati. They only have seven in eight games this season. Still five fumbles. Five fumbles and two interceptions, both of them by Devon Wilson. One of them was on a Hail Mary at the end of a half. That was, I don't remember if that was the last one or if that was, anyway, it was, it was the SMU game was the last one. Um, when had. you frame it like that, that UCF really just has one like legit pick this year because the Hail Mary. Oh, it's not good. Whatever. It's yeah. not good. We really, that, but when we have our, like, when we do our many uh, out of season podcasts that I enjoy and we talk about like most disappointing stuff, like DBs are probably going to get featured on that list. And yeah. I get part of that is just the way the defense plays, but still we sort of hype yeah. them up as a lot more. Memphis Memphis has 10 turnovers this season, five lost fumbles and five interceptions. Mm-hmm. So all I'm asking for is one UCF. Get your first one in a month and I'll be happy. That's doable. You would think, right? I mean, yeah. it's just, it feels like a long time since like. That month is a long time to not force a turnover. Especially because the other interception I'm pretty sure came against, was it South Carolina State? I think so. No. Louisville? I think it was Louisville. Yeah. It was early. But, it was one of those first games. It was forever ago. So yeah, get yeah, one. I concur. Um, not that you'll be right, but just that they should do it. Okay. Um, my second prediction is that UCF will win by double digits. Um, guys, I think Memphis isn't good. Um, is basically my main takeaway here because I, I. So my main thing is that UCF we just saw against Cincinnati. They basically put on a masterclass at shutting down the run. Memphis is 79th in rushing yards per game. 
no running backs even hit 300 yards on the year. And I feel like we've talked about a lot, like, yeah, they've got a quarterback who can sling it. But if you do what you did to Cincinnati and you basically just stop the run, it is hard to win a game when you can't run the ball. That's why Gus Malzahn is so obsessed with establishing the run. And I just, I don't know. I feel like this could easily be a blowout for UCF. And what I loved about the game plan against Cincinnati too, is they blitzed Ben Bryant a lot. Oh yeah. He was flustered by it. And I think they should continue to do stuff like that, especially when you're, Secondary doesn't pick the ball off a lot. You don't force a lot of turnovers. If you can blitz and kind of create those opportunities, that's great. That's the It's thing. interesting that you make that prediction because two things on that. That's kind of one of my predictions. Okay. Um, it's, it's a little bit very slightly different. Mine is that UCF will beat Memphis by multiple possessions. So that's, they could yeah. win by nine. But We phrased it. Yeah, we're pretty page. much, you know. I swear um, to God, if they win by nine now and you get that and I don't. <laughs> I'll be so but mad. they um and then we'll we'll get to our score predictions. But I have two score predictions, one for each quarterback, um, and both of them fit under the criteria of both of our predictions. But the thing that kind of made me think about this was kind of interesting history of UCF Memphis. UCF hasn't beaten Memphis on the road by more than one score since 2012. That was in three yeah, three different, three different games. Three different games. Stat. They beat them by a touchdown in 2013, by one in 2018, and they lost by one in 2020. And they've played at Memphis eight times in their history, and only three of them have been decided by more than one possession. That is pretty crazy to think about. That and is, the la- it's, and it's the, their last wild. trip there was just so much fun. It was um, awful. I hated that day. Um, but yeah, I got the so they they lost to Memphis. This was one of the games that was so decided by more than a possession. They lost by nine to Memphis in 1990, the first ever meeting. Um, and then UCF won like 13 in a row. Um, the other ones were a 38 17 win in 2005 for UCF. And then a 37-17 win in 2010. But yeah, it's weird. They, they play close games. But 2013 was the stupid game. Just, it was. I'm still mad about that. It was <laughs> almost a decade ago. Um, one bit more thing I want to throw in that applies to both of our predictions there is that Memphis has allowed 30 plus points in six of their eight games this year. And the two teams who didn't hit it were Temple and Navy. So yeah. the offense should have a good day. Really you should. Would think. You would think. Which means they won't. No, no, that's okay. Mikey Keen starts. This is the consistent UCF offense, so I'm not even worried. Fair enough. Um, Okay. Then your third prediction. My third prediction is that RJ Harvey will follow up his best game of the season with having his best game of the season. (laughs) And my main reasoning for that is that I think Mikey Keen is RJ Harvey's best friend. I think that Mikey Keen opens up all kinds of possibilities for you. I think that he doesn't make you have a spectacular one-handed catch on a screen. Um, I think that he's a really, really really good combat i think that's a good combination i think the mikey keen rj harvey combo is like the one i made up in my brain in the off season and like i i think that they complement each other very very well and i'm very excited to see what rj can do now that i feel like he's had his breakout game i like it i was going to predict something rj related but i was like i feel like i'm going too heavy on it so now i'm glad i didn't because then we would have had two two similar predictions this week and we both would have had because we both had rj harvey predictions last week I'm quickly becoming an over-the-top RJ Harvey fan. I, I just really like what he does well. I don't think he went over three last week. Didn't you have an RJ Harvey one too? Um, you had an I RJ did. Harvey one that I had an RJ Harvey one that he was going to have a rush of twenty plus yards, and I think his high was seventeen. Oh. Yeah, and the catch doesn't count, obviously. So yeah, that sucks. Specifically, okay. said a carry. So, um, interesting. Okay, so my th- my third one, which is really my second one, but we lined up on the other one, so I wanted to bring it up. My last one is that UCF will total more than three sacks in the game. Um, they had four against Cincinnati last week. They only have 16 on the season, though. Uh, Tremont Morris-Brash has five. Josh Telescar has two. And Anthony Montalvo has one and a half. And that's notable because before this past game, um, Tremont Morris-Brash was the only one with more than one sack. Um, so they have 16 on the season. 
Memphis is giving up 3.25 sacks per game. What? Uh, giving up, they've given up 26 sacks in eight games. I missed that stat uh, yeah. in my research. Oh, my goodness. They're giving up 20, they've given up 26 sacks in eight games. So if UCF gets three sacks, Memphis is just hitting their average. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but that's why I, I said more than three. So it has to be four. That's where it kind of feels a little risky. <laughs> UCF is not going to lose this game. <laughs> it's just... Don't. I mean, I got what? Fate. I don't see how they lose this game. I really don't. I don't. I don't. I don't either. Well, but... I do. I I see ways, but like those way, those things just shouldn't happen. Like, yeah. You know, like if Memphis has their plays, I guess they could lose. But like other than that, I think that <laughs> it should be good. Fair enough. All right, let's get to score predictions. Uh, UCF is going to win the game, thirty-eight to twenty-four. Okay, so that's your all all in one score prediction. That's my Mikey Keen plays score prediction. Okay. Do you have another one or no? Why don't you go first? Okay, I have a Mikey Keene score prediction. It's okay. that UCF wins forty-one to twenty-four. So wow, we're, you like we're you right like, there. You like Mikey a field goal more than I do. I guess so. Yeah. Um, I also have a JRP score prediction. What's so your JRP score prediction? Yep. UCF thirty-four, Memphis twenty. Say that again. So UCF thirty-four, Memphis twenty. Okay. So they still win by two touchdowns um, instead of seventeen points. I don't know if Mikey's worth one more field goal if he's worth more than that i don't know i don't really know if i had a lot of logic behind my score predictions but that those kind of just felt right to me yeah i also i also wondering too if i'm giving too much too many points to memphis's offense i don't know i was wondering about that but it's also like i mean their offense isn't bad they're averaging 34 points a game and hennigan can do some stuff like i don't think the offense is just gonna i think there's a chance that defense could shut them down especially if they can stop i I wanted to i wanted to say like they're gonna get 14 points but like I could look very dumb very quickly if they score 17 points. It's just hard. Half. Listen, if your turnover prediction comes true and your sack prediction comes true, they're not going to hit that. But, That's fair. Yeah. You know, so we'll just have to see. I, don't um, know. I also have a JRP score prediction. Okay. And it is that UCF will still win, okay. uh, but 28 to 24. I think Mikey's worth an extra I was, 10 points. I was worried that you were going to say that you have a JRP score prediction. You were going to predict them to lose. <laughs> well, when you're, so, like, you're like, there are certain things that could happen, but I don't see them happening. I was like, it's one of those that JRP plays yeah, and plays poorly. One of the things was that JRP plays. Well, what I almost did was I wanted to have a Mikey score prediction, a good JRP score prediction, and a bad JRP oh. score prediction. But I thought like that was just way too much to offer three different score predictions. So yeah, we're sticking with two. We are. Okay, cool. Well, we'll, we'll leave that, <laughs> we'll leave that uh, game preview there and jump into the football news. Um, some, some UCF in the NFL update. Um, former UCF running back Latavius Murray. This was just very interesting to me. He became the first player in NFL history to score a rushing touchdown for two different teams in London in the same season. That is so weird. So he scored. I, I think it was for, the other one was for the Saints. I think a couple weeks ago, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, and then he scored for the Broncos on Sunday. Um, just a couple weeks apart, two trips to London, two touchdowns um, for Latavius Murray. I love so. just stupid specific stats like that. I really do. It's crazy. Um, UCF Memphis will be televised on ESPN2. I know as the last time we talked, it was going to be either ESPNU or ESPN2. Um, them winning against Cincinnati got them on ESPN2. So shout out to them for that. Um, let's stick Let's stick with the Cincinnati game, actually. Josh Salascar was named the AAC Defensive Player of the Week after totaling five tackles, a sack, and a safety against Cincinnati. I thought Trayvon Morris Brash honestly had a had a case for it too himself. Um, but Selisgar gets the honors. And I think I think BD tweeted that was the first, I think it was BD uh tweeted that he's the first UCF defensive player to win that award since Tatum Bethune. And it might have been October of last year, I think. Um, that's pretty crazy, actually. Yeah. 
So uh, good, good things for him. And then RJ Harvey was named to the AAC weekly honor roll after he ran for 84 yards and two touchdowns against Cincinnati, including that game winner. We just backpedaled into the end zone after spinning off a tackle, just great. Um, And then the final piece is that UCF Tulane next week, next Saturday on, I believe it's November 12th, um, will be kicking off at 3.30. That's 3.30 Eastern time. If any of you are going, it's 2.30. I'll give you that reminder because I already need that reminder for Memphis this week. Um, But 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 Central, it's going to be on ESPN2 or ESPNU. And as of right now, that looks like it could be a ranked matchup. I know with the college football playoff, it won't be, but. I would love if someone could pull up the stat of the last time a top 25 matchup aired on ESPNU, but I'm willing to bet the answer is never. So if both teams win, (laughs) they should be on ESPN too. Yeah, I would think so. People Um, don't watch ESPNU guys. Like most people just hard to find. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, UCF played Georgia tech on ABC in 2020 and nearly 4 million people watched it. UCF played Georgia tech on ESPNU this year and 100,000 people watched it. (laughs) Yeah. It's not great. Um, Speaking of two bounce houses, that was all, that was all that watched the game. Speaking like a third of, of the people teams. who viewed that game were in the stadium. I'm just going to keep interrupting you. You keep talking about how ridiculous it is. Only hundred thousand people watch that game. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. Um, well now I'm having to like little, I'm going to have to do like a little thing here um, because I'm confused or not confused, but I don't know if um, we have the opponent yet for UCF women's soccer in their semifinal game, but game of the week involves UCF women's soccer. Who's ranked number 22 in one poll, 24 in another poll. They're nine, two and four, seven Oh one in the AAC. They have a bye to the semis, uh, which means they'll play on Thursday at 7 p.m. at home. Um, so if you can get out to that, go out and, and, and watch them. They're playing the winner of number four seed Memphis and number five seed ECU. I saw someone tweet earlier that they're playing uh, Memphis, but I don't know if that game happened yet or if, if I'm not it did. sure. I'm trying to figure it out now. No, it couldn't have happened yet. Oh, no, it did. What am I? Interesting. Okay, yeah, they'll play this Memphis. Is, this is they're a playing podcast. <laughs> they're playing number four seed Memphis. I don't know when that game happened or if I'm tripping because I saw the bracket. I'm surprised UCF hasn't tweeted that they're that that's who they're playing. They did in a, it's they tweeted a link that they're hosting. no. I saw it. I'm surprised they haven't been like, oh, you know, it's confirmed we're getting Memphis or something. Yeah, like I don't know. So that's yeah, Memphis yeah, won today. Four, so that was yesterday. Today. Yesterday. 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 Yeah. Interesting. Welcome to the Pegasus podcast where we don't know what we're talking about. I meant to look that up like right before we got on and then completely forgot, but I'll blame it on my power going out. What um, is crazy though is, oh, brag about it. everyone's power went out during the storm. Um, the what storm is <laughs> powering out for no reason right before a we got significant chunk of our listeners have lost power within the last uh, two months. So, you know, yeah, but there was a reason for it, right? Um, I don't know why mine just flickered. I'm still confused. Anyway, and so is my dog. She did not, she did not <laughs> like that. But anyway, if they beat if they beat Memphis on Thursday, they'll play in the final on Sunday at 1 p.m. The other thing to point out is, I mean, they they got, they got off to a pretty rough start this season. And it's been a rough couple of years. But I saw Eric Lopez tweet earlier that they actually with RPI they might be in position to like host a tournament game. That's now, that's which is just I think what a the, turnaround. The benefit of playing those early season, um, you know, tough non conference games because that's what, that's what they like to do. I know we, when we go to the Charge on tour, like Tiffany Roberts, the hate actor, the head coach, always talks about the how she likes to challenge their team with these non-conference schedules. And when you play like mostly ranked teams and some of the powerhouses in women's soccer, even losing those games, is not going to really hurt you that much. So, Hey, maybe, and, and then you it set, you set them up for an undefeated run in conference play. So that's the thing. I mean, you know, maybe it, it's it the, sucks uh, in the moment because you're just not going to beat all of those teams and your record looks rough and it's like, Oh, they're losing a lot. And then you 
get to conference play and every team you have left is like half the challenge of what you've just faced and suddenly you yeah. just blitz through your conference. <laughs> then you then you end up nine, two and four and seven oh one in the conference. But yeah, so we'll see how they they fare this week slash weekend um in that tournament. And then we'll get the selection Sunday, I'm imagining. Maybe yep. it's selection Monday. Um yeah. So we'll move on to tweet of the week. Tweet of the week. I'm really disappointed guys. Um I've waited four years uh for this moment for UCF to wait. Three Technically four, four years. years. Four years. I've waited four yeah, years. Three Wait games. a long time, guys. I was just a kid back then. I'm still in school for a time. Um, so was I. I know, because we went to school at the same time. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I was really excited to just go after Cincinnati fans on Twitter. But I, like I said, I feel like I'm growing as a person. So I'll go after them on the podcast instead. Um, and I went after them on Twitter. But anyway, the one thing I was disappointed about was I was really hoping for some like new material. But like Cincinnati fans are just despondent and depressed. Like They haven't been tweeting like, oh... That was BS because of this, this, and this. Every Cincinnati tweet I can find, other than like some of three followers, is just like, wow, we deserve to lose. We're terrible and everything sucks. So, like, I haven't Brian had a lot to work with there. So, I had to yeah. go back to January. Um, <laughs> this is from at CincyDad513. He's been ratioed enough, guys. We can leave him alone, but I just had to read this because it was too good. I, as usual, was just like trashing Cincinnati the day after they played in the uh, Cotton Bowl and once again lost a major bowl game. And he replied to me. So he originally replied to me and was like back in January and was like, well, this is different because you guys played an unmotivated Auburn team who didn't want to be there, which like that just wasn't a thing. But anyway, <laughs> this was this is Tweet of the Week. He replied to me January 1st, 2022, with the score of the 2021 game and said, UCF is little brother to UC and will continue to be little brother. Maybe you guys can give us a game next season, but I highly doubt it. Um, UCF gave them a game. Spoiler so alert. So what Cincy Dad 513 is doing there is offering you guys the perfect example of why you do not predict the scores of games nine or 10 months before they happen. <laughs> um, because then you sometimes say things that it turns out are blatantly not true. So my main takeaway is it is great that we once again live in a world where Cincinnati is rightfully the worst team than UCF they deserve to be. Um, and I hope they continue to stay that way for a very long time. Uh, I'll, I'll shout out this tweet because I don't usually like, you know me, I don't usually like to go oh, after people on Twitter. I'm curious where this is going. But uh, I did respond to one tweet I had bookmarked because back in August, Big Game Boomer, you all know of Big Game Boomer, um, posted their AAC predictions and predicted UCF to win the conference. And Cincinnati fans got irrationally angry at just this one guy's um, predictions for the conference. And so somebody replied, this is uh, at Bear Attack, Bearcat Attack 69. Um, nice. Uh, UCF is soft was the reply. And so then I had to just kind of chime in and say, UCF let a soft team bully them in the trenches to the tune of 258 rushing yards. What did I say? You said UCF let a soft team. Oh, yeah. Cincinnati let a soft. I'm literally <laughs> reading it. You're Cincinnati good. let a soft UCF team bully them in the trenches, 258 rushing yards to 38 and four sacks to one. I don't know. I just I feel like I had to dunk on that one because I was like, I was going through my bookmarks and I had some other ones that were like, okay, like uh, there's still some that I might revisit by the end of the season, but. The game could is... not have played out better for that specific reply. Like, it's yeah. like God read that tweet and was like, we're going to do the opposite. Like, I, UCF flat out bullied them for yeah. several hours. And man. And if, oh, if we're going to Saturday, we're, we're going to shout out like positive tweets. Um, any Anything that UCF has tweeted since the game ended, like they've just been. It's all been fantastic. It's been so good. It's, it's been very, very good. Um, and shout out JP Gilbert because his tweets are the, are the greatest. Makes me laugh um, out loud at least once a day. Yeah. Like clockwork. But. So, so I'm glad we ended on a positive note with tweet of the week with some, with some good tweets. Um, but we will, we will leave it here and we'll be back 
on Saturday night from Memphis. We'll be recording our post-game podcast on location um, on location in Memphis with episode 107. Um, until then, you can find us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at ByCA Simmons, and at Night Sports Now. And on Night Sports Now, you can go read that Mikey Keene piece that I wrote on Sunday night. Um, please do that. Um, but until then, we will talk to you next time. And thanks for joining us. Read Bailey's story. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>